Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikucci and you are listening to the Jazz's podcast. Everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikucci here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call the Jazz is Podcast, and is brought to you in conjunction with Jazz is Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz is editors, and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. And today, I could not be happier, as I am joined by a guitar legend, Bobby Broom, a man who has performed with some of the all-time greats from an early age, sharing the stage with some of the greatest jazz legends and leading amazing projects and recording sessions of his own. His latest album finds him paying tribute to the great pianists of the past and is also an invigorating collaboration with rising star pianist Justin Dillard. Lots to talk about on this episode of the Jazzist Podcast, so let's get going. Fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our conversation with Bobby Broom. Hello, Bobby. Welcome to the Jazzist Podcast. Hi, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, and it's such a pleasure to have this opportunity to chat with you.、Uh, and on this podcast series, Bobby,、uh, we like to kind of break the ice by going back in time a bit and kind of begin by asking the artists I speak with whether there is a memory from childhood that they have that, when they think of it, they realize that that was maybe when it all started for them.、Uh, do you have one such musical memory that you could share with us today? Uh, well, that would really be hard to say because I remember loving music like intimately、uh, from when I was maybe four or five years old. Five years old for sure. I I I, I felt very close to the radio and the music on the radio, and like the songs were familiar friends when I got to know them, but. There was a seminal moment when I was about ten years old. My dad brought home a record by Charles Erland, the, the organist.、Um, the record was called Black Talk. This was in 1971,、mm. and、um, it had a bunch of radio hits, like,、uh, "The Age of Aquarius," which was a, a pop hit by the Fifth Dimension, a group called the Fifth Dimension, and、um, "More Today Than Yesterday," which was by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. These were songs that were on the radio, and so when I saw these songs on this album and this very、um, alluring cover,、uh, sepia cover with a A, you know, African American guy with an afro. I, I was intrigued by both those things, so I put it on, and I'd never experienced anything like that instrumental organ jazz. And I didn't know what it was, and didn't care. I just was enamored. I was like taken by the music, and would play this record like daily.、Um, and this was long before I 
really had a, a true interest in jazz per se and before I started to play the guitar. So there was something about that record that was probably uh, influential, inspirational. Right. And, and so when did it happen that you started thinking that you wanted to actually become a musician? Well, I picked up the instrument. I had a burning desire. I woke up one morning with a burning desire when I was 12. And I, I often try to remember like how that happened. Did, did I see something on television or did I? And I can't recall anything, but I do remember waking up just feeling like I have to have a guitar. So I asked my dad if he could get me one, and he did. He got me a guitar and a microphone because he said he didn't think that anybody could make it just playing the guitar alone. You had to sing. <laughs> so uh, that was when I began, but it was just it was supposedly a hobby at that point. Uh, and then it became more than that at age 14 or so. Do you think that it was also a desire to express yourself in some way, uh, like learning to play an instrument? I believe so. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. If 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 not, just yeah, just to express my personal feelings and to really just to myself was the the idea in the very beginning. Do you think that maybe learning an instrument also changed your perception of the world around you? Well, may, maybe not so much in the beginning, um, or maybe so. I'd have to think about it. But 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 the first thing I thought of uh, in response to that question was, you know, the places and uh, that the music wound up taking me. You know, all the traveling that I was able to do at a very young age. Yeah, that definitely changed my perspective and you know perception. Right, because that's the thing. You 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 kind of started, uh, you know, playing with all these great musicians early on in your career, right? Yeah, very very early, very early on. So, um, what was that like being thrown in in the mix, <laughs> so to speak, so early on in your career? And then maybe maybe that is kind of an answer in a roundabout way to your question, because there was a moment I recall when I was really enamored at this point with jazz. I was 14 or 15, probably 15. I had been at it, practicing daily, listening daily. That's all I did was, you know, ran home to do my, my schoolwork, my homework, and then so that I would have enough time to practice. So I remember, you know, I had been collecting records by then for about a year. I had a, you know, a nice a little collection of, of recordings. And I remember feeling that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do this music in the way that I wanted to because I had been born in the wrong generation. That's what I felt. I'm looking at all these records from beginning around the 1940s, you know, with the, the, the beginnings of bebop. And then, you know, I had records that were recorded in the 70s. And so all those, you know, 30 something years of music making. And I thought, oh, these people are all adults and I'm, I'm, not, I'm just a kid and there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this with them. But then my response after I was pretty sad that for a period that day, and then I just shook it off and I just felt like, you know, I don't care what happens. I just love this music and I want to learn to play. So I, I don't care what happens. I'm just going to practice and I want to get good. And then it seemed like these magical things after that point, after I'd made that decision, 
uh, and surrendered in a way, that's when uh, certain things started to happen in my life, like magical things, like meeting Al Haig, and I knew who he was. I knew he played with Charlie Parker, getting a chance to play with him at 16, and Walter Bishop Jr., he would call as a sub. Uh, Al would call Walter Bishop Jr. if he couldn't make the gig, you know. And I say, what, you know, what's going on? Like, and all of a sudden I was doing the exact thing that I said that I would never do. Now, I didn't, I don't think I realized this consciously at that point, but it did instill the possibilities, endless possibilities. Like, you know, if I just keep practicing, who knows? In a way, you said you said uh, something interesting there that at some point you felt like you maybe had been born in the wrong generation. Has it also maybe contributed a bit to to you know uh, sharing the love that you had for this music? Because we this is a love that is expressed in many of your albums, of course. I think that uh, that thought did change in a way. I mean, it was the circumstances or the 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 things that happened to me negated any doubt about possibility you know all of a sudden now I'm, I'm i'm playing music with people that played with charlie parker then i go on to meet and play with sonny rollins donald bird uh you know and 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 it went on and on from there so i just felt that well i guess i'm in the right place at the right time, you know, right. uh, and still able to do this. Yeah. And it also did um, just really solidify my, my, I always loved the music, but to be accepted by the musicians that I, you know, held in such high regard, that was very meaningful for me. It was very validating and uh, over time, you know, probably decades, but it really did instill a sense of um, like a, a charge or a, a responsibility to keep this thing going, you know, and I've gone on to devote my life to to it, uh, to jazz music. So, yeah, it, it was all all uh, facilitated by those are those musicians that helped me early on. track you are listening to is from keyed up the latest album by bobby broom his revelatory new album released last year and paying tribute to some of the great jazz pianists of the past and if you love jazz and vinyl be sure to check out jazz is vinyl club a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the jazz is editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of jazz is jazz and these Jazz is podcasts. Go to jazzes.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. But now, back to our conversation with Bobby Broom. 
And you know, uh, jumping ahead to present times, I guess, uh, the concept of your latest album is really uh, fascinating. It's, you know, the album is called Keyed Up, and uh, essentially it's a tribute to the great pianists. Uh, can you tell me more about this concept and the genesis of this project? Well, it was kind of a sequence, kind of displaced sequence of events, meeting Justin Dillard and playing with him on occasion, kind of uh, informally at jam sessions and kind of putting the, the that seed being planted that I wanted to work with him. Now, I didn't know in what way or what shape it was going to take but but I did think that that he had something that I wanted to um I wanted to experience uh as far as my music making was concerned okay so that was out there and then uh my bassist Dennis Carroll who has he does this on a regular basis where he comes up with an idea that he thinks would be a good thing for for me and for us to do, you know. So he planted a seed about doing a, a tribute to Bud Powell. And he had a couple of few tunes that he had in mind as suggestions. And one of them was Glass Enclosures. I don't know if you know that tune, but I, I certainly wasn't going to try that. But um, it it's, and I didn't want to do that particular project because it was, you know, very similar to the to the Thelonious Monk project that I did back going on 15 years ago. I think it was out in 2008 or nine. Yeah. Bobby Broom plays for Monk. Yes. Yes. And so I didn't want to like replicate that. So I, but, you know, it was a kind of good idea. So I kind of kept that on the back burner. Well, uh, time passed. And I mean, like probably a couple years and I had the opportunity to record and the idea was clearer that I would do tunes by great pianists in jazz who composed, you know, and pick certain uh, certain artists and certain compositions. So it just led to me, you know, doing some research and and looking at material and then it was clear at that point that I was that I wanted to use Justin Justin Dillard you know to to add to the trio and so it, it, it kind of came together in a way naturally um, but with forethought you know yeah you know one of the one of the great uh, pianists that you of the past that you pay tribute to is James Williams and I understand that he was quite instrumental in advancing your career, right? Yeah, he was just a, a real uh, supporter of mine. He he loved my playing, and he was very encouraging. And that tune that I did of his was one that I used to play with him uh, back in the late 80s and maybe early 90s. And then when I formed my first trio, we would play that song. And so I never got a chance to record it. And I thought, oh, you know, this is perfect because he was a beloved, is a beloved uh, figure, uh, especially among the, the, you know, there's a, a group of us that, that played with Art Blakey and that, uh, you know, that group or that uh, those people then extend in terms of their influence in this music and 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 all of that. And I just thought it was a, a good thing to uh, to remember James in that way. 
And speaking of the great uh, musicians of the past that you pay tribute to on this record, you know, we talked about Williams, uh, we talked about, oh, and then there's also Ramsey Lewis, McCoy Tyner, among others. But you, you do have, and you, and you, uh, talked about him a little bit, uh, Justin Dillard as well, and a, a rising star, uh, pianist filling the piano chair on Keyed Up. Uh, and I'd love to know more about how, uh, you met and how, uh, you worked together on this project. Yeah, it was, um, at a, a regular jam session that I was a part of that went on in Chicago, downtown Chicago on Sunday nights. And it, it lasted for a number of years, about eight years every Sunday. And um, it was run by a trumpet player named Ferez Witted. And uh, I was in the house band. And uh, sometimes when Ferez would uh, not be able to to lead the band, I mean, he would be out of town or something, he'd ask me to lead it. So on those occasions, I would call Justin. So it just became a, you know, I was just kind of checking him out. And it was over a number of years that this went on and, you know, very infrequent meetings on the bandstand. But uh like I said, I began to get a feeling that I wanted to work with him. And, and again, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but it, it, it was just the energy was put out there, you know. So we just, I think I was operating in a large part on uh, some kind of intuition and some kind of hunch. And I say that because when I think that, you know, I, I, picked him and then enlisted him to take part in a recording of mine before ever having really played a gig, you know, that, that's kind of (laughs) risky. So, but it really, it really came together. Well, we rehearsed uh, for about six weeks, once a week we rehearsed and, uh, and then went into the studio and um, by all accounts, things, you know, uh, as far as I could tell, were moving in the right direction. Well, when the, when the recording was finished, I was kind of um, shocked in a way because I, I don't know what I expected. And, you know, you, I, you really can't, I, I can't imagine the end result of some music that I'm envisioning because I, you know, it's much of that is up to the players, the individual players and their contributions. So, you know, in that way, it's a lot of unknown factors, uh, at least three unknown factors. And, you know, the whole combination of how it's going to work out. But it really did come together in uh, a way that was probably at least as good as I imagined and probably better than that, I think. That's fascinating. And it actually uh, brings up, uh, kind of reminds me of something that you said to Sean Brady, who wrote a great piece on you a while back for Jazz Is. Uh, you told him that uh, when it comes to musicians working together, it comes down to being sensitive enough to know how to uh, not clutter up the space based on the sonic environment. And I actually was wondering whether you could uh, elaborate on that concept, because it sounds really interesting. I think that music, any kind of relationship in life, group dynamics, one-on-one, there are the dynamics between the parts, the how the 
pieces fit together, how they interact is really important. And especially, particularly in jazz, there is so much trust that is necessary in making a a great group sound. So I've always been one that was really uh, uh, concerned or really um, like that, that group dynamic, the, the end result of the whole has always been more important or at least as important as my own solo or, you know, my own singular part. So as a band leader, I've, you know, I've, I've realized that personnel is a very, very tricky thing. It's not easy to find, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, rolling the Rolodex or we don't have Rolodexes anymore. Scrolling through your phone and picking from any piano player or any bassist or any drummer, you know, there's an intimacy just much like in in, uh, relationships, you know, friendships or or love relationships, th- that intimacy is is the same, you know. So the the dynamic uh, of listening and sometimes responding and sometimes not listening with the care that the other member or members what they're expressing is maybe even more important than what you're thinking about saying or expressing, you know, so there's that, that's very, you know, it's almost a little ethereal or weird if you will, but, but, but that's really what it is. So I think it's really uh, demonstrated on this, on this record. I mean, it, (laughs) what was the tune that, Oh, it was soulful bill. It was the James Williams tune. If you listen to that now, I didn't even realize this till, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And I, I, I heard it or I listened to it and I realized, oh my gosh, Justin isn't playing his left hand during his solo. He's not comping. I am. It's just me. And it, it just sounded so natural and so just, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> so, it's that kind of thing that, that, yeah, piano players like to control harmony, you know. They want to, you know, they have the orchestra, they, they have the, uh, the, the, you know, all the orchestral possibilities in that big 88 key keyboard. But for him to just let me orchestrate, you know, the backdrop while he, I, I just thought that was really something. Well, Bobby, it has been a uh, fascinating uh, speaking with you. And thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. you enjoy my conversation with Bobby Broom. His latest album, Keyed Up, is available now. 
And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out our Jazz Ace Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzace.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. And as music from Bobby Broom's Keyed Up plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz Ace podcasting content, our print magazine, and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzace.com. And if you like what you see, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. Thank you.